What is up, Breakthrough Success listeners? Mark Verde here. In this episode, we are going to talk about how to meet your financial goals. What is the planning that goes behind it so we don't get lucky and we just happen to stumble upon a great investment, but rather we are taking consistent action that leads us to the financial goals we are striving towards. Our guest who joins us today, he is on a mission to help people think differently about their money, the economy, and the future. He is a certified financial planner, best-selling author, and the owner of Lake Growth Financial Services. He's also the co-host of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast, where he shares a variety of investing strategies and insights. Our guest who joins us in this episode is none other than Mark Willis. Mark, welcome to the show. Hey, it's always good to be with another Mark. Good to see you, man. <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Mark, it is such a pleasure to have you on Breakthrough Success and financial goals. I feel like we all have to think about that so much deeper because when it comes to growing a digital business, we think about impact, we think about spreading, we think about visibility, but we have to think about our financial goals and keep all that in mind. So I think so many people, they just have the goal of becoming a millionaire and you know, who wouldn't want to be that uh, you know, millionaire, but how can we set financial goals that make more sense to us and are more catered to the type of lives we want to have? That's a great question. Uh, I would say more people should ask that question of themselves, Mark. There's too many people running hard in the wrong direction and putting money into things that they don't have control over and doesn't help their e-commerce business, doesn't help their digital brand, and it doesn't help their financial future. Whether, whether that's retirement or helping your kid get through college or whatnot. So yeah, asking yourself, what do I want my money to do for me uh, is a great starting point because guys, where you put your money makes it do different things. You know, a hedge fund is different than a savings account, uh, which is different than a 401k or house equity. They're all different and nothing's evil or wrong or good or bad. It's just a question of what are you trying to do with your cash? And did you take the time? Like I didn't to think about it before you dump a bunch of money into say a 401k or get a bunch of student loan debt, right? So that's where you start. You start with the question of function, you know, because uh, where you put your money makes it do different things. And so what is the environment in which you want your money to live? That's the key starting point in my opinion. I love that because there's just so many, like you mentioned, the hedge funds or the savings account or the student loans. I mean, your money is going to do different things based on which environment you put it in. I wonder if we could talk about people who want to meet their financial goals, but they're in debt, like student loans. I feel like a lot of people have those. They can relate. I mean, it's a big issue. You've got credit card debt. Then you have your typical mortgage, which I mean, at least with the mortgage, like you have an asset. So, I mean, there's that going for you, but I'm wondering how do people work towards their financial goals as they go through the process of paying off debt? Wow. Well, that's a great question. So some people, their goal, unfortunately, is just to get back to the starting line of their life. You know, as I meet more and more people in the midst of the coronavirus uh, and my heart goes out to people who've been impacted dramatically by this virus, by either financially or health-wise, I hope you um, find a much better 2021 as you're listening to this. Uh, but you're right. Uh, some people, the only hope they have is to crawl their way back to the starting line which is to say, hey, I'm in debt up to my eyeballs. I can't find a way out. And all I can do is pray and hope that I can get back to zero, to get back to net zero. 
Uh, and in fact, there's a whole radio program across this country where people call in to proudly proclaim that they are back at the starting line of their life. I am debt free. You might know uh, a financial entertainer that lets you do that. Call in and scream, I'm debt free. Uh, I would like to suggest that there are things beyond being just mm -hmm. debt free because honestly, what happens as soon as you're debt free? I've met the people who've been on that radio show who six months later had to get a new car and had nothing saved and you know, go falling back down the debt staircase only to climb their way up, only to fall their way back down. You know, guys, if you're in e-commerce, you know, who's the biggest profit motive in your business? Is it you? Are you taking more or is Amazon lending and payables and the rest of them, are they taking a lion's share of your profitability? Too often, and I co-authored a book with a gentleman who has successfully helped over 10,000 uh, e-commerce business owners become successful. He and I wrote the book, How to Become an Amazon Legend and Fire Your Banker. Because I believe Amazon payables, uh, Amazon lending and payables and the rest of them are the biggest profiteers off of the e-commerce space. And we could talk about how investment um, fund managers and investment advisors are the biggest profiteers off your 401k or your brokerage account. It's all the same. If your money is in something that you can't control, like a debt or a mutual fund or you know, an, an index fund, God forbid, then somebody else is gonna be taking a stream of income off your back for the rest of your life. Department of Labor, case in point, Department of Labor says that if you have a 1% fee on your mutual funds, index funds, target date funds, and other amateur retail investment products, you're gonna see a third of your life savings siphoned off just for the fees. Uh, for somebody else to watch and babysit your money for you. Now, is that freedom? No, no, let's be honest. It's not. It's another form of slavery. If a third of my income went to somebody else, I would be working for him or her for at least a third of my day if time is money. So I'm off my soapbox, Mark. But the key is find something that's bigger, a bigger goal. Write it down every day. Think beyond just getting back to net zero. Think beyond just amateur retail investment products like stocks, bonds, mutual funds, and other paper assets. Look for things that build real wealth that you can pass on for three, four generations. That's the real key to finding goals that get you motivated to get you out of bed in the morning. I love the idea of building generational wealth and um, like debt and fitness are very similar where you see someone who's yeah. like overweight, they get skinny, they gain back the weight. It's because you only have the goal of getting to zero. You only have the goal of getting back to the starting line and then you're there and that's when all the bad habits kill you again. So, so uh, true. having this bigger goal, like I love how Mark is like, let's pay off like, you know, two, three, four, gen like let's think about those types of goals rather than just being at zero again, because when yeah. you just think smaller, it takes you longer to get to zero. So I really love that. Uh, I do want to, there's like a few different things I want to get into, but uh, you mentioned the index funds because so many people, they think about that as like the holy grail of investing. I'm wondering what your take is on that because I heard a little bit of that in your answer. Sure. And, and is it all right if I share my screen for one minute? Is that possible? Um, this or no? It'll be hard with a podcast. No one will be able to. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, I'll describe what I'm showing everybody or showing or seeing here, but I'm looking at the uh, index allocation of the index number of the S&P change, the change in value of the S&P 500 index 
from December 31st, 2000. And every year it goes up and goes down, it goes up and goes down, up through the end of 2016. So we're looking at 17 years of data here. And the index change return, the real return of the index over a 17 year period, 17 years. What do you think it was? What would you guess? If I could just let you mark for a second. Over 17 years, the index went down, up, sideways. How much did it grow or change over that 17 year period? I mean, everyone says like 8% annual average year. market return. Yeah, per yeah. year. So eight times 17, that would be, what do you think? That Definitely would be like, at least yeah. double, like 150%, yeah, right, right. something like that. So on the average, uh, over the course of 17 years, the annualized return of the S&P 500 from 2000 to 2017, which includes at least two bull markets, was only 5% annualized, annualized. So 5%, not eight, not 12, like uh, Dave and his friends on the radio say. Now, the true, if you were to put $100 into the S&P 500 index fund with no fees and no taxes due, your dollars would go only up by 3.35%. Why? How is that possible? Well, the, the average return is not your real return. And this is something they teach you in the certified financial planner courses that I had to go through to get my designation as a CFP. But the, here's, the, here's the easy way to remember this. Let's say that you gave me a hundred bucks to invest. All right, Mark. And then this year, let's say I double your money. That's a positive return of 100% this year. You're feeling great. You went from 100 bucks to 200 bucks. And you're like, man, Mark's awesome. He figured out the right secret sauce to the market. I'm gonna leave my money with him for year two. So year two, remember, you went up 100% in year one. Now you're starting your balance at $200 at the beginning of year two. But let's say I slip on a banana peel and I lose half of your money this second year. So a negative return of 50% with me so far? Yeah. All right, so we went up to 200, then I lost half your money. What we, what, we're back down to our first original 100 bucks, right? So did I gain you any money over two years? Oh, I see. I, no, you lost right? me money, right? I, well, I, I, you're, I mean, you're I know, actually I know, really perceptive. I know we yeah. started, but there's like inflation and other hidden inflation. stuff. Inflation. I'd like to actually set aside inflation and other kind of spooky numbers oh, for okay. a minute, but you're exactly right. Inflation would impact us over that two-year period, plus taxes, whatever, and my fee. I'm not doing that for charity, hopefully. <laughs> um, but, but over two years, I got you a 0% real return. However, and this is a big however here, I am able and allowed by SEC, uh, the Securities and Exchange Commission, to advertise an average rate of return of 25% on your experience. I'm able to advertise that, why? Because you take 100 minus 50 divided by two, and that's my annualized return that my investors got over that two year period. I am able to advertise that, even though your real return was zero, why? Because averages mean nothing. Averages mean nothing. Don't look at the average rate of return of the stock market. That's not gonna be your real experience. But why? Because of volatility. Beta is the enemy in your portfolio. And I'll say this too, beta is also the enemy. Volatility is what, is what I mean here. Volatility can also wreck a business, an online business, as easy as it can a, a market portfolio. Wow. I mean, it makes sense how you'd be able to advertise something like a 25% because it's averages, but the real way to return is definitely what matters. Because at the end of the day, you want to know what happens to your money. Like, does my money, yeah. what does my money turn into? Like, that's what people care about. Uh, wow, I, I did not know that was like one of the 
things that went on and figuring out those types of returns and planting yep. a number like 8%. I mean, there's definitely a lot of stuff to know. Uh, I think one of the things that when, when we're talking about financial goals, everybody has the thought of retirement and having enough of a nest egg. Maybe they're thinking about cash flow too. What advice would you have for people who are planning on that retirement phase so they feel like they have that sufficient nest egg or cash flow or whatever it is they're going for? You know, we're pretty weird on our podcast, not your average financial podcast. Um, I guess it behooves us from the name. But, uh, you know, I would say the, the average way of thinking is build up the big nest egg, build up as big of a bucket of money as you possibly can and sit on it and then figure out a way to not run out of that cash before you die. That's kind of the big picture of most people's quote retirements. I have found in working with several thousand people around the country at this point that that is not a good way overall uh, to experience those years of unemployment I call retirement. Think about it. If you go 35, 40 years and you can't work, let's say you were disabled, God forbid, and you couldn't work for the next 30, 40 years. You know, wouldn't you want to make sure that income was as efficient as possible? Wouldn't you want it to last as long as you did? Wouldn't you want it to keep up with inflation and not be succumbed to market risk? You know, the big problem with Wall Street is the recommendation to only take out a very small portion of your, of your pile of gold. You know, if you've got a million dollars in your 401k, let's just use that as a quick example. Many people will be happy to say that they've got a, they're a 401k millionaire. That was even a hashtag earlier last year. Uh, they're a 401k millionaire. What does that mean? What does that mean? Well, if you're a 65 year old who is going to live according to life expectancy into your late 80s, early 90s, then you've got to make that money last and not run out of money. You don't want to run out of cash when you're 92. That's a problem. <laughs> so the key is, what's the safe withdrawal rate of my cash over a sustained 30 plus, 40 plus year period? And the real research is now in, according to PhDs and retirement research, and I read these papers so the average Joe doesn't have to. But according to these PhD economists like Wade Fow and David Blanchard of uh, Morningstar, they say you should take no more than about 2.8% of your money out every year without fear of running out of cash. So let's break that down. Let's bring it down the ladder. If I've got a million bucks in a 401k, I have to only take out no more. And I have to be ultra disciplined to take out no more than 28 grand a year. That's my millionaire lifestyle right there, 28 grand a year. And by the way, there are taxes due on that 401k, which might make it closer to about 20 grand when it gets into my pocket. So what is 20,000 bucks a year gonna do for you? That's the problem with the inefficiencies of accumulation. So I would say don't plan for accumulation, plan for efficiency, find streams of income. And we specialize them at, uh, with these streams of income through our firm but find streams of permanent increasing income that will never run dry. Even if you run out of money, never run out of income. That's the real key to retirement is never running out of income because we don't, we're all living longer, Mark, you know. Uh, I mean, folks are going to be living into their 100s. That's going to be a common place. The, 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 the baby who was born last year will make it to 120, according to Time Magazine. Wow. Uh, so we got to find ways to make our money not run dry no matter how many candles are on her birthday cake. Yeah, I mean, 
a lot of people think 65 when it's retirement, but I mean, retirement's just a, it's not like, it's not just a number. It's not like 65 and you're magically retired. I mean, Mark <laughs> right. brings up the amazing point. It's all about income. Like if you're making enough income from your assets, whether it be dividends or uh, real estate cash flow from tenants, you could retire at 40 or 50 if you are making that type of money. Now, obviously, you know, uh, statistically speaking, it's a little more difficult to retire at a younger age, but uh, just because you're 65 doesn't mean you get that free pass. Uh, what are some of the ways we can build up those permanent income streams and feel safe in the process? I mean, I guess it's like impossible to feel completely safe, uh, but you know what I'm trying to say. Well, I'm going to share some tools that I have discovered and they are going to sound unbelievable and many people might unsubscribe. So I for, please forgive me, Mark. <laughs> I can even not share them if you don't want me to do uh, that. No, but, uh, you know what? Let, let's, let's get the full picture. I would, I'd rather share the truth. Okay. So I am a certified financial planner. I've looked at over 450 financial products and I see how they work. And I, maybe even more importantly than the studying and research, I've seen it with real live clients. I'm not retired yet, but I've seen literally thousands of people go through our office doors and Zoom calls and phone calls where I've got a good sense of what does work. And, you know, the leading research is now specifically looking at the power of income annuities of all things. Now, most people say annuities are those old as, as the pyramids products that have no place in the modern portfolio. But let me kind of walk through why I think annuities have a place for some people as a way to park and, and free up dollars to then create income for the rest of your life. Annuities are boring. And that's kind of the, the whole point. Mm. You know, you're able to have a permanent lifetime income guaranteed for the rest of your life through the private contract known as an annuity. Now, annuities um, are not the same as they were when our grandparents got them. And a lot of people would rather get anything else other than an annuity, but they don't know why. Again, Mark, it goes back to my question. What do you want your money to do for you? Because I don't care what you call your money. Call it a 401k, call it an annuity, call it a, you know, a, um, a, a underwater unicorn. I don't care what you call it. If it does what you want it to do for you, that solved your problem. Okay, so let me walk through. Many people say, well, Mark, my, my rental property is going to be my annuity income stream. Well, how's that working out this year with COVID? and rents stop uh, being on, on moratoriums. Uh, and, you know, that's, that's kind of the biggest problem I see is as of December 2020, 9 million renters said that they're behind on rent. And nearly 12 million renters will owe an average of 6,000 bucks in back rent by, and, and utilities by January 21. Uh, so that's kind of off the table as far as permanent guaranteed income renting. Besides that, you know, toilets, trash, termites, and uh, non-paying tenants persist in the rental market. Some people say, well, Mark, I'll choose laddered bonds. I'm not a big fan of laddered bonds because you know, you're looking at a uh, 10-year treasury doing 1.6% yeah. as of today. And the 30-year is, well, the 30-year is at 1.6. The 10-year is not even at one. It's at a 0.92 handle. Uh, and then what about on the yield, these terrible bond yields, you're also taxed on that income the bond gives you. Uh, third, some people will say, well, Mark, I'm going to choose the dividend aristocrat stocks in the stock market. Those dividend aristocrat stocks, uh, which have paid dividends and uh, for d 10 years, 20 years, a decade, whatever, they'll choose those dividend stocks. But I'm looking at even hundreds of companies have slashed or eliminated their dividends due to the coronavirus. And I actually, I do believe that dividend paying stocks have a place. All of these have a place in your portfolio. 
but I don't think for a minute that dividends can be counted on to cover your basic income needs in retirement. Lastly, some people say tax-free muni bonds are a good spot for permanent guaranteed lifetime income. And, you know, I think Barron's actually, the investment magazine Barron's did a really good job researching this. In fact, their August 31st issue put it on the cover, a trillion dollar hole, trouble ahead for muni bonds. And uh, the municipal bonds problem that has happened again as coronavirus has really ex exposed the deficits of local and state government uh, budgets. Not all muni bonds will be in trouble, of course, but there are going to be some unexpected defaults. Again, these are going to hurt retirees who were counting on income throughout their retirement years. To me, the only thing that's really left are guaranteed lifetime income annuities. Uh, and we can talk a bit about what those are. I didn't expect to even bring this up today, Mark, honestly, uh, but uh, our conversation took us there. Um, that's sort of what I guess has been a, a, a key piece, not the whole thing. I wouldn't recommend everyone throw every last penny into an annuity of all things, but a good key annuity that'll provide guaranteed, protected, and sometimes even increasing income to keep up with inflation uh, has proven to be a salve for a lot of people who have kind of run out of, run out of other permanent income options. I mean, I definitely wasn't expecting to hear annuities. Uh, yeah, me neither. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like for people who are now a little bit curious, like how do we get into them? Like what's the whole process for sure. getting it? Well, I, I mentioned earlier that 401k and only being able to take out 2.8% or 28 grand on your million dollars. If you were to put a million dollars into an annuity, depending on the type and design and your age, of course, uh, you'd see more like 50 to $70,000 of income based on the withdrawal rates of most annuity contracts. And annuities are really just insurance contracts. Just like if you have a contract with your tenant, there's nothing underneath that relationship with your tenant. It's not like you have some sort of real claim on that property except for contract law. Contract law is really what undergirds everything in Western civilization, really global civilization at this point. You know, if you don't have a contract, uh, if we lose contract law in Western civilization, what are we back? We're back to squatters rights at that point, right? Where we need guns and ammunition and water bottles and everything <laughs> to survive. So whether it's a stock, paper stock, whether it's a rental property or your business, all of it is undergirded by the contract. And that's what annuities are. In fact, I was in a museum and here in Chicago where, where we live, there's a museum on the South side in, at the University of Chicago called the Ancient uh, Oriental Institute. And along the wall, right next to a copy of the Rosetta Stone, Mark, was a long 25-foot long parchment contract, an annuity contract from 300 BC. That's what it said under the, uh, the little ticker under, the, um, under that parchment paper was this thing. It said annuity contract, ancient Egypt, 300 BC. And I was blown away that that has been one of the secrets of the wealthy. In fact, Merrill Lynch uh, bought a private annuity in the amount of $1 billion for some of their executives uh, to fund their own executive retirement packages. And, you know, I could keep going, but I'll spare you guys all the details. It's just purely a generating income stream, uh, which had, you know, in the last 30 years have been modernized to overcome some of the shortfalls of old fashioned dusty annuities. Uh, and so I, I have two of them in my portfolio. It's not all of where I keep my cash. Uh, but I think it's a great spot to at least cover the basic paycheck for your retirement needs. Wow. I mean, 300 BC and just to hear that this just keeps on going. I mean, it's definitely one of those investment vehicles you don't hear as much about. Uh, it's not the flashy play. It's not Tesla. Yeah. 
right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Still yeah. do Tesla if you, if you, or whatever, not necessarily yeah. Tesla, but find your, find your growth stock, have fun with that. But this was mainly just an undergirding foundation, right? Yeah. And especially when you are thinking about retirement, where it's more valuable to have consistent income coming in versus picking the right growth stock. I mean, you got to do different types of investing based on what your age is, but you do want to think about how do I build up cash flow along the way? So true. Yeah, exactly right. Well, it comes back to goals. As we started this podcast, it comes back to your goal. Why are you in business? You know, why are you investing in stock? Why are you buying those real estate deals? Why is not meant to be judgmental? I don't mean that in any way. I'm asking what's important about those choices to you. Why did you choose or what's important about the key pieces to your portfolio? Why are you putting money where you are? Did it, is it just because your parents did it that way? Or because your boss told you to get the 401k? Or did you really think through your, your, your game plan, your goal? And if so, good on you. you know, invest, whatever, do what you want. Uh, I always say, let's get the paycheck taken care of. Then we got money for the play check, you know, <laughs> have some, have some more money to go find some fun and go play. Personal finance is going to be different for each person, but the one constant is to get as much insight as you can. This has been a really awesome episode. If you guys want to check out Mark and his work, make sure you tune into the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. We will throw that in the show notes. Uh, we'll also throw in Lake Growth Financial Services in case you want to inquire uh, with Mark regarding how he can help you. Mark, this has been such an awesome episode. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks. Keep up the great work, Mark.